you know, our, our premise is, is, is proposition four is voters should choose their politicians. Politicians should not choose their voters. And this has been done for centuries and it's been done by both parties. And whoever is ultimately in control gets to have the, um, you know, the ability to draw these maps. Uh, and when given that authority, funny things happen. Welcome to Ununinformed. I'm Sean Seavey. Ununinformed helps you in being connected to the world around you so you don't feel dumb around your smart friends. Are voters choosing their politicians or are politicians choosing their voters? In one week, Utah voters have the opportunity to weigh in on that question. Today, we're talking about something called gerrymandering, when politicians rig the system by choosing their own boundaries for re-election. Joining us today is Blake Moore, a co-founder of the coalition called Better Boundaries, which is advocating for the ballot initiative to have an independent committee draw the borders for congressional and legislative districts, rather than the politicians themselves doing it. We're also talking to Utah Senate Majority Leader Ralph Okerlund, who wrote the official opposition to this ballot initiative known as Proposition 4. We'll start with Blake Moore from Better Boundaries. Blake Moore, welcome to Un- Uninformed. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be on. So let's just start with the basics here. Uh, a lot of people know this, but let's just define what is gerrymandering. So gerrymandering goes back centuries. The actual term stems from a governor of Massachusetts, Governor Gary. Not uh, Jerry. And he, <laughs> not Jerry. It's Gary. It's, uh, at some point in history, it got switched to Jerry. That's great. There was a map drawn back in Massachusetts, like in the 1700s, right? And it looked like a salamander, and it was done very much for a particular for a particular reason, and and, and done to, you know, support a, an incumbent. And that map looked like a salamander. And uh, ever since then, the term gerrymandering, later term gerrymandering, came about. The salamander. About I have no idea. <laughs> All right. Cool. Yeah, that's where the, the the mander part of it came in. It looked it looked like a salamander, and so the 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 term stuck. And this has roots in our entire history of our country about the ability for elected officials to have control over the way that districts are drawn, and so they are able to control ultimately who votes for them instead of you know. You know, our, our premise is, is, is Proposition 4 is voters should choose their politicians. Politicians should not choose their voters. Right. And this has been done for centuries. And it's been done by both parties. And whoever is ultimately in control gets, the, gets to have the, um, you know, the ability to be able to draw these maps in such a way. Uh, and when given that authority, funny things happen. And so... What makes this particularly poignant for Utah? Well, as I mentioned, it's been around for centuries. Even before what's poignant for Utah, what's poignant in the last two decades is the, you know, is, is technology has advanced to such that you can start really doing this with pinpoint accuracy. Back in the 70s, you know, uh, representatives and elected officials could, could ultimately do this, but they were, they were basically guessing on... on you know, where we think the most safe district might be. 
But with the amount of data that's available today, and you can take big data and do really anything you want with it and predict out the likelihood of a certain area voting one way, uh, whether that population sticks around and they move. So there's lots you can do. In the last 20 years, uh, technology has increased such that it is, can be done with a, with a lot of accuracy. Why it's particular for Utah, honestly, Utah has a real opportunity here to show the rest of the country that, hey, even though we're a state that's, that's, that's majority controlled, and remember, I'm a Republican, co- I'm one of the co- Republican co-chairs of this initiative. Oh, yeah, even though Utah is a state yeah. that favors, favors one party, like, there's a better way to do this. We can remove this conflict of interest. We can separate it out and have this commission, which I'll explain, you know, during this, during this time with you. Yeah. But Utah has a really unique opportunity to show the rest of the country, like, hey, we recognize this is something that this should be done. Lots of other states have already enacted similar type of um, commissions and, and standards that we're, we're proposing. So we're by no way innovative. We're, we're very much following the trend. But it will be really great for the other, you know, the other half of the country kind of come on board and say, you know what, lots of states are doing this. Utah did this. Uh, this is something that the whole nation should be doing. So I, I look at it very much as that's why it's important for Utah uh, is there's a real opportunity to, to show the nation that, that we're being, uh, that we love transparency, we want fairness, and we want everybody in the state to, to feel like they have a representative um, government. Well, it's really interesting. I, I understand there's at least four four people in charge of this initiative. You're one of those. We've got two Democrats and two Republicans and you're one of the Republicans. And I think it's kind of interesting. What it seems like as, as we know, Utah is consistently Republican majority. And so this initiative seems like it would only benefit Democrats. At least the opposition is saying that. So, so what got you in here? I mean, as a Republican, I I would not have expected this. Several things got me involved. One, one of which, I was little. I was my mom worked for the Weaver County Commissioner's Office, and I remember going down every election and going helping count ballots. And I don't know if that gives you more faith in this system or not. I was some eight year old doing this, but <laughs> I would go down and, and volunteer and all that. And then at one point, I remember going out and actually knocking on doors or handing out flyers for Senator Bob, the late Senator Bob Bennett. I was doing a research paper in my master's program on gerrymandering. I chose it as a topic because I just heard so much buzz about it. And and I came across a quote by by the late Senator Bob Bennett that said the 2001 redistricting in Utah was one of the worst cases of gerrymandering he'd ever seen. And like, I'm kind of a political nobody. Um. I, uh, I'm learning through this process that I both love and hate politics. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that, that's somebody of prominence saying like, like this is, this doesn't seem right. Um, I then looked to who I would have supported for president and John Kasich. I think he's a very conservative, fair minded individual that knows how to balance the budget. He went off and he, he led this effort in, in Iowa or in Ohio. Yeah. He got this passed just this last June to establish an independent redistricting commission. Again, independent means independent of the the body, the legislative body, not independent-minded people. You're never going to find seven 100% independent people. Like that's just right. a farce. Like there's 
We'll talk about the makeup of the commission, but John Kasich led it. Governor Schwarzenegger led it. I'm in California. Ronald Reagan called it a national disaster. So when I when you say like, why would a Republican support it? It's because we get that gerrymandering eats away at the democratic nature of our country and the, the voice of the people. And I do believe Republicans believe in fairness, transparency. We're polling well among Republicans. Obviously, we're polling well among Democrats because they're the minority in this state. But if I was a Republican living in Maryland, yeah. I'd be furious that I lived in a, in a place that was that was that was doing this to favor the other party. And so this is a national movement. It's not just about Utah. Well, let's get into what this initiative would actually do, how we have that this independent committee. Kind of, let's kind of diagram what that looks like. Right now, the Utah Constitution says that the legislator has um, the authority to redistrict. To change that would require a, a change to the Constitution, and that would require a two-thirds majority vote of the legislature. That's simply something that's not going to happen. Yeah. We're not even trying to, we're not trying to change that. We're actually enacting a non-binding advisory commission of seven members that would follow uh, simple standards, rules, essentially, if you will, to govern the process of redistricting that takes place every 10 years in, you know, across the country after the U.S. census. And so this is a group of seven citizens. They are appointed by the legislature. So the governor chooses the chair. The majority leadership chooses two, likely from their own party, and chooses one unaffiliated voter. And then the, the minority leadership chooses two, likely from their party, and one unaffiliated member. So essentially you'll have, you probably, let's just say what you'll probably have. You'll probably have three Republicans, two Democrats, and two unaffiliated, probably leaning, probably leaning opposite ways. Okay. And they would then create the new maps for the state school board, state legislative, both House and Senate, and congressional maps. Okay. So all those, the, all the essentially maps, four. Right. Okay. Yeah. Every level. All the, all the maps at every level that are statewide, they would draw those maps. Um, and they would draw them based off several standards. And I don't want to throw too much information without allowing a question, but I'll just give you the standards of kind of what we're what we're proposing here. And that's yeah. to keep our municipalities and our counties to the extent practical intact, not allowing political data. So your party affiliation, the voter records, things like that, that you can sort of map out w- which way things go with respect to um, you know, trends and voting voting trends. Keep natural borders and and communities of interest uh, intact, and and compactness and contiguous nature. So those those are some those are some things. And you know they've done there there's been part of that in in the process so far, but mm-hmm. nothing has been mandated or said. Actually, this is now part of the process. Before, hopefully, when this passes on November sixth, before the only thing that was in the system what was federally mandated, and that was keep each district at about the same population. So you can't have 100,000 in one district and 500,000 in another. That would not make that right. representative, and that representative, you know, would not be equal in the, in the, in the, in the, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So you have to keep that together and you can't gerrymander based off of any type of racial uh, populations or anything. So if a certain minority group lives in a certain area, you can't necessarily corner them off in some way, shape or fashion. 
that's what you see in North Carolina with the, the lawsuits going on there. Um, and so those are the two things that, you, that, that are currently in the process. We were just wanting to add a few more standards, simple, straightforward, common sense um, things that would kind of govern the process going forward. Now, let me just kind of address what some of the opposition are saying. And, and uh, here, here's at least one thing that I know the opponents are saying. They're saying the real intent of this is of this initiative is to create an overwhelming Democratic district in Salt Lake City, which obviously is, is more liberal than, than, than much of Utah. Um, so how do you respond to at least that um, point of opposition? Yeah, I know. And that's <laughs> what I mentioned earlier. That's the part I hate about politics is I, I, I've voted Republican my entire life. I'm a Reagan baby. Uh, <laughs> please talk to my parents and know how, how, how conservative, like you heard me before. Yes. I, I supported Kasich. I didn't necessarily support Trump, but you know, voted, you know, very excited about Romney being a part of this. So yeah, yeah I get called a Salt Lake city liberal. I take umbrage <laughs> with that because I'm from Ogden. I represent, I'm Ogden, you know, if you know anything about Utah, there's a lot of pride that comes out of Ogden. So <laughs> that in itself, it's funny. Um, Holiday right now, the city of Holiday is the size, the population of one state house district, about 35,000 people. Yeah. It's, that's the size of one state house. That could all fit in one house district. Yeah. It's split into four it's split into two Senate districts, could easily fall within one Senate district. And then it's also, of course, split into two congressional districts. I believe that's been done egregiously in order to, you know, it's, a, it's, got, a, it's got like an independent mayor. It's a town that's probably pretty purple, right? I think Holiday would land as far as pretty purple. Let's not even talk about Salt Lake. Let's talk about Holiday okay. with the mayor that comes out and says, these eight individuals, the two and two and four, I know they're working hard for us. I appreciate their, their, their public service, but oftentimes we, I don't know who to reach out to. I don't know who's really working for holiday anymore. I don't know who I can even approach because everybody sort of has a, you know, they, yeah, there's a piece of me that's part of that, but uh, some other people are involved and, you know, this notion that we should be cutting up our cities and towns as much as we are has nothing to do with what, what, what way they're going to vote. It has everything to do with a community feel. I identify with what city I live in, where I'm from. I assume if I ask you where you live, you'd probably say what city you lived in. You'll get that same from Provo. People will say they're from St. George or Moab. We choose cities based off of our what we're interested in. And, you know, there's, there's a commonality between that. We vote for a mayor together. There should be a voter, you know, ability to be able to vote for a, a legislative representative together to know who is accountable to us in particular. So first Salt Lake city, it's big. Salt Lake County's huge. Salt Lake County is going to have to be split into two. Right. So this concept of, we just want to draw this completely safe district. Um, it's, it has nothing to do. It is not part of, of what the boundary or what the, what the process is trying to set forth. Um, it's it's an easy thing for the opposition to try to grab onto to make this look like some liberal initiative, and it's simply not. This is about transparency. It's about setting up a process that's going to, you know, kind of dictate how we do this going forward. There's 15 Utah cities that are split into two or more congressional districts. That diminishes the collective voting power of those communities, um, and and uh, 
as a Republican, listen, I think that our policy issues are going to win out and let's win them fairly. Let's not try to manipulate the district. So it just creates safe seats. It's, it's, it's not even, and it's less about party politics and it's a lot about just making sure as an, as an incumbent, you're going to want to given the chance you're going to want to create as safe a situation as possible, but that's led to over the several years, it's led to lots and lots of uncontested races, races that are getting won by 30% or more. It is, it is impossible for the voting block to go in and say, I don't like what my representative is doing. I'm going to vote that person out. I want it. We talk about, the opposition talks about, oh, it needs to be an, un- it needs to be an elected body that does this because then they can be voted out. That's inherently nonsensical. This is the one part that I'll address head on. If you say that it has to be an elected body to help with some ideas on how to draw some maps, it's nonsensical because the whole point of gerrymandering is to create state districts. It is to create those districts. So you're winning by more than 30%. There is no threat of you getting voted out. And how can a voter vote out somebody that there's that big of a margin on what's taking place? Now, we hope that there'll be more competitive races after this, but we do not control. The commission will ultimately control what these races look like. But I am confident that if you go off of these standards, you will have communities fairly represented. People will feel like they have some voice in this system um, that I just it, it, for too long has been taken out of the uh, out of the voice of the people. Now, let me just address you're saying this is non-binding. And, and of course, we can't we're not changing the state constitution. They can read the legislators can reject what this council does, correct? Correct. The commission would draw the maps, submit them back to the legislature. The legislature would then vote up or down. If they vote up, hallelujah, we've got our new maps. If they vote down, then the legislature would then draw their own maps. And a lot of people are concerned like, oh, well, we're back to square one. No, we're not. For the first time in history, we have standards in place of which they still have to adhere to. And they have to defend how they stuck to the standards better or more closely than the commission's maps that were presented to them not long before. So not only do they just have to defend it, there will be a public right of action to be able to take legal recourse on this situation. So if, if they want to go ahead and risk that and turn down maps that have been voted on by five out of at least seven, by at least five out of seven commission members, uh, and they want to vote down and make their own, there, there, there is some political risk here um, in this legal right of action. Now, we've got stuff in place that makes sure there's no frivolous lawsuits. You're going to be paying your own, you're going to be paying yours and the opposers uh, or, and the defendant's legal fees if you come up with a frivolous lawsuit that's baseless. So there is a lot in place to make sure this process uh, has merit. But this is, the, this is the teeth that's involved. We now have something on which the they base their maps on not just the two federally mandated things that I mentioned earlier. And so there is, you know, some, there's definitely accountability if they choose to vote down and draw their own. So in wrapping everything up, ultimately, why should the voters of Utah vote yes on Proposition 4? I think gerrymandering is extremely divisive in our community. And um, we're seeing that by the amount of support that we're getting in this in this initiative from both sides of the aisle and from voters that are registered among 
all parties, that this can be something that brings our community together. And um, hyper-partisanship, like everybody, you know, all the poll, all the all the commentary is, oh, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, but can, what can we do about it? This is one step we can take to remove hyper-partisanship from, from, our, from our communities because I, I very much believe we all have a whole lot more in common than, than, we do, than, we, than we do differences, and we can find a lot more common ground, and this will be a big part of making sure that the elected officials are accountable to their, to their constituents. Blake Moore is one of the co-founders of the Better Boundaries Coalition, advocating for Proposition 4. Blake Moore, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it, Sean. Thank you so much. And now for the opposition to Proposition 4. We're talking with the Utah State Senator who wrote the official argument against Proposition 4, Senator Ralph Okerlund. Senator Okerlund is the Senate Majority Leader for the Utah State Senate. Senator Okerlund, welcome to Ununinformed. Thanks, Sean. Good to be with you. My understanding, um, Senator, is you submitted the official argument against Proposition 4. So what, what made you want to uh, take a stand on this issue with, with boundaries? Well, I've been involved in redistricting. Uh, I was the chairman, the state uh, legislative chairman, for uh, the last redistricting process. And so I felt like I was... Uh, well qualified to talk about redistricting. Um, at that time, uh, the legislature, legislative committee was appointed by uh, the, the Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate. And uh, one of the first things we did was decide that we were going to go around the state and take uh, a lot of public opinion, make it be a very open, transparent process so that everybody that wanted to comment on uh, the maps or be involved in the process had the opportunity. And we went places like Logan and Ephraim and St. George and Cedar City and all over the state uh, and took comments from people, uh, several meetings in Salt Lake County and Salt Lake City, uh, so that we had uh, a very open, transparent process and everybody had a chance to be involved. Uh, as I saw this proposition coming out, uh, my first thought was this is unconstitutional. Constitution of the state of Utah says that the district, the boundary should be uh, drawn by the legislature uh, or subdivision of the legislature. And that's been the case ever since the Constitution was drawn. And this would, I believe, subvert that. I think there would be uh, uh, it would create a, uh, a process where there would be challenges. I think there would probably be lawsuits, uh, because this isn't constitutional. So anyway, that's, uh, that's why I wrote the opinion that I did. And, uh, and I, I feel very strongly that the, the redistricting commission, uh, the committee that draws the boundaries should be representative of people, not appointed, uh, uh, people who would then uh, not be able to be uh, voted out. Uh, when you have a, a legislative group, the people always have a chance to vote. If they don't like the way things are being drawn, they can vote the, the people out to draw the maps. Uh, this appointed board, there would be no uh, 
no direct link to the people. They wouldn't be able to vote anybody out. And uh, so that, that makes it, I think, a, a problematic and does not, and makes it unconstitutional. Now, do you, do you feel like gerrymandering is, in fact, a problem in Utah? I really don't think it's a problem. Uh, I, I think Utah has, has become uh, a state that is uh, very urban, and there are certain areas of the state, like Salt Lake City and, and parts of Salt Lake County, not all of Salt Lake County, but certainly parts of Salt Lake County, who are uh, who lean very heavily or are Democrat, uh, part, uh, members of the Democrat Party, uh, and a, a very large geographical part of the state, uh, including Davis, Weber, Logan, Washington, some of the larger counties that are not in the uh, on the uh, directly on the Wasatch Front, and especially Utah County. Uh, which is the fastest growing county in the state, uh, who are, who lean heavily Republican. And so, um, the question that always comes up is, how do we create the best way for people to have the, the, the best voice, the most, uh, fair voice in, in creating these maps? And it doesn't matter who draws the map. Uh, somebody's going to be dissatisfied. Somebody's going to cry gerrymandering. And uh, that's one of the things that we found during the process in uh, in our last uh, uh, redistricting uh, process was that uh, I was uh, very involved in that, and I saw hundreds of maps. We, we told people to use the same criteria that the legislative committee was going to use, and that is the, the districts had to be the same size, equal in population. And uh, we tried not to split up communities any more than we possibly had to, but the first criteria was the size requirement, and that was the, uh, the population requirement. And we told people to draw their own maps and submit them to us, and we would consider them. And we had hundreds of people who showed up at those meetings uh, who, who tried drawing redistricting maps, uh, uh, hundreds of them dropped out of the process without completing a map because it's such a difficult, long process to do. Uh, the ones that did continue in the process submitted their maps, and uh, and there were a couple hundred of those that did that. And we looked at each one of those maps, and uh, each map was a little bit different. Each map had to draw the lines a little bit differently as they tried to uh, meet their own uh, idea of who should be in the district and uh, and how to get the right people that they wanted representing that area in the district. And what I found was every map is gerrymandered because whoever draws it has an idea of whoever of, of how they want the district to be shaped uh, politically and ideologically. And so they draw those maps. Each person draws those maps with those uh, criteria in mind. Otherwise, you'd just draw 29 squares uh, for a Senate seat, a state Senate seat, and uh, make them be as, as geographically uh, the same as possible and and let it go at that. But you have to have the, the population requirement or you will be sued in court and you'll lose. So right. what I found was every map is gerrymandered except mine. I thought mine was, was not. <laughs> it was very pure, you know, and... Uh, but every, everybody else's map that I saw was gerrymandered to some extent. 
And uh, whoever draws the maps, whether it be this appointed commission uh, or the legislature, uh, somebody's going to think there's gerrymandering involved. And, uh, and in fact, there will be. I'll guarantee it. So the question just becomes then who should draw the maps and, and, uh, and I believe it should be those who are most answerable to the people and could be elected or, or unelected or, uh, turned out of office. Now your argument talks about, and you kind of touched on this just now, you're talking about how this has the potential of creating a, a bigger democratic district in Salt Lake City. Um, can you, can you kind of explain how Proposition 4 would do this, make make the Salt Lake District more democratic? Well, there was a discussion uh, during the last process where we talked about a donut hole or a pie or what exactly, exactly the shape of congressional districts should look like. Uh, of course, uh, it depends on where you start drawing the map. Uh, if you start drawing the map in Salt Lake, in Salt Lake City and uh, and you start with a circle, and then you try to go out from there uh, to create other districts, you end up with a heavily, uh, well, you could end up with a heavily Democratic district. It would have to be very heavily gerrymandered. I'll tell you that right now because I looked at it. But to create a, a Democratic district uh, starting in Salt Lake City and, and have that donut hole there, uh, what you could have is a, a highly Democratic district that disenfranchises Republican voters in that district because there are, would be so few if they, if it was uh, drawn, uh, that way. Uh, if you, and then you would also have three heavily, heavily Republican districts that would disenfranchise any Democrats in those three districts because they're so heavily, they would lean so heavily Republican that, uh, that there would be very little, uh, uh, Democratic, uh, uh, the influence there. So, like the middle of the donut would be Salt Lake, and then the suburbs would be a donut around it, and then we got little rings. Mostly, yeah, because you have urban Salt Lake City that's way more democratic than than the rest of that area, right? Yeah, but you would have to go out from that even even to get the numbers that you would need for a congressional district, uh, which is eight hundred thousand or something at this point. You would have or nine hundred thousand. I'm not sure what the number is going to be with the new census. But you would have to go outside of Salt Lake City's boundaries, and when you start doing that, that's when you start gerrymandering. You have to start pulling in uh, Democratic uh, parts of the of the rest of the county to meet that number requirement that it would take to, to make that district. So, uh, and the rest of the state, uh, you would you could draw a line wherever you wanted on, on those three districts, go simply by number, and they would be heavily, heavily Republican, which would disenfranchise any Democratic voters in those districts. And so the fair way to do it, that we, the fairest way to do it, let's put it that way, that we found that we could do it would be to create four districts that have uh, the, the correct numbers and as many as possible, as close as possible, to representative numbers, uh, depending on the size of the district, so that uh, so that there is some influence by parties, minority parties. Uh, you look at uh, the, the McAdams and uh, and Love race this time, uh, and you'll see that uh, there, there's a fairly close district 
uh, right there that ended up being geographically and uh, and population-wise as close as possible uh, in that district that ended up being probably the closest to being the, the most equal representation uh, in the state on those four congressional districts. That's District 4, right? So, And I'm, I'm actually looking at that right now. It's it looks like our Congress, uh, U.S. Congress maps are a pizza, and the middle of the pizza is kind of Salt Lake. And as you get out, you get more in those suburbs. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. Yeah. So you end up with at least some representation, some uh, some influence by minority parties uh, in all four districts. Uh, so if uh, Congressman Bishop comes out and uh, and wants to visit with his with members of his district, he can't disregard uh, the party, the, the minority party members uh, or population in his district. They're important to him to get the numbers he needs to be elected if it's close in some of the other parts of his district. So he has to listen and he has to make sure that he represents all the people in his district. And I think that's the case in all four of the districts that we created as close as possible, like I say. Um, Nothing is ever going to be perfect. There will never be a redistricting map that is perfect in anybody's eyes. Like I said, mine might be close, but everybody else's, uh, it's going to be impossible to uh, make everybody happy. So, uh, and by the way, my map was, was disregarded. I was, it was not selected. <laughs> it was one of many. Oh, really? <laughs> and it was not selected. Uh, but, and that's how rigorous the process is, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's kind of the process. So uh, it, it's just an imperfect process because uh, because of the potential lawsuits that the courts have held that, that the numbers should be uh, the same in each district, whether it's a congressional district or uh, state office, state senate, or, or state uh, house or uh, state school board, the numbers should be the same. And so we ended up having to split up some communities to get the numbers the way uh, we needed them to be equal. Uh, we tried not to do that any more than possible, but even in my large 10-county district, I have the largest geographical district in the state, uh, even in it, we had to split up some communities to some extent uh, to be able to get the right numbers. And uh, so it, it's just not a perfect process, but at least it's a process where if my constituents uh, don't agree with the way that I did it or the way that it turned out, they can vote. They can vote me out. And uh, with an appointed commission, that just isn't the case, and I think it makes it unconstitutional. So just wrapping it all up, when voters go to the polls and voting on Prop 4, what should be going through their mind? Why should they vote no on Prop 4? I, I believe the number one reason is the constitutional one. Uh, the drafters of the Constitution uh, had it right, I believe, when they said this should be a representative group of the people. The House of Representatives and the State Senate should draw these maps so that they're answerable to the people. And I think that's what people should keep in mind. If they go to the polls and they vote uh, against Prop 4, they will be leaving the influence in their own hands. If they don't, if they vote for it, they are turning uh, that 
power that the Constitution gives them over to appointed people who are not answerable to the people. And so I think that's the number one reason. I think that's the number one argument. There are many, many, many others, but I think that's the number one argument that that they need to understand and uh, remember. Senator Ralph Okerlund is the Senate Majority Leader for the Utah State Senate. Thanks for joining us, Senator. Sure. Thanks for having me, Sean. Good visit. And that's Ununinformed's coverage of gerrymandering. If you're a Utah citizen, make sure you weigh in on this issue by voting next week on November 6th. And for those Americans outside of Utah, if the gerrymandering controversy hasn't hit your state yet, it probably will soon. This has been part three of Ununinformed's three-part series on Utah ballot initiatives, which are linked to nationwide controversies. And if you haven't yet, give those other episodes a listen. And just to recap, in the past two weeks, we've talked about Proposition 2, Medical Marijuana, Proposition 3, Medicaid Expansion, and Proposition 4, Gerrymandering. This has been an ununinformed mini-season, and we're going to take another little break for a few weeks. Be looking for us in your feed, or just listen to some old episodes in the meantime, like our episodes on the opioid epidemic, or on gun control, or one of my highest-ranking episodes. Yeah, my Trump impersonation episode. Thanks for listening. If you're liking Ununinformed, make sure you're subscribed in your podcast app. If you've already subscribed and you like what you're hearing, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Our music is provided by DD Dumbo. I'm Sean Seavey, and you've been listening to Ununinformed. Thanks, everybody. Mm-hmm.